they have three churches and 300 people. And they showed us their, their, their one Swahili New Testament is all they had. And we said, well, we know that's what you have. What does the rest of the community have? He said, no, this is it. This is it for the whole community. So even when we worship with these people, with 300 people in a church, no one had a Bible. So we're able to send a box of about 500 Swahili translated full, full Bibles to them to get them started. And so we take it for granted. So we say theological education, you think about some 100 credit degree, like MDiv, ordination. No, we're talking about the basics of understanding like creation, fall, redemption, the stories of the Bible. That most of you kids could go and probably teach some of the people that we are teaching overseas that really have no idea beyond whatever it is that they have heard, maybe on a radio station somewhere, or one, one uh, short-term mission trip that came through, and that's all they have. And so what we started to see within World Outreach is that we're going to the unreached people group. Does anybody know like a classic definition of what an unreached people group is? You know how we decide that? It means a person who's, who's not heard the gospel. Anybody know what the classic definition is? The, the classic definition of an unreached people group is that any region of a country, less than 2% Christian, Okay? That's what the classic definition is. So when World Outreach says that, when I-10 says that, we're talking about going to those places where there's less than 2% of the entire population is Christian. And generally speaking, we even talk about the unengaged, which means there's not even a, there's not a church there yet. So maybe these people are scattered, and because of persecution or because of the way that the, the government works, these people can't even get together. So they're unengaged in the sense they have no way to grow. So we're going to those places, and as we go to those places, a lot of times what happens, we had um, uh, Andrew talk yesterday about the business's mission model, and we've utilized that a lot because in the places where we're going, places like Pakistan and Jordan, Lebanon, we had a team just come back from Syria. You can't get in with a missionary visa. You can't walk in and say, I'm a Christian here to plant a church right? And so you've gone in as a, with, with, with a business model and you're doing some different things there, but, but those folks don't necessarily have theological education either. They're incredible business people and they're doing a great work in those places. And so they brought someone to, one, one to Christ and then they give them a Bible and they say, you're the pastor, <laughs> right? That's what's, and that's not just world outreach. That's across the globe. We've done that. And what we started to see is that maybe the first generation that goes well, but pretty soon heresies start to creep in pretty quickly. And especially in the third world countries, we've seen a lot of that health and wealth gospel, right? Immediately, people want to promise that if they come to church that week, uh, they'll be healthy, they'll, be, they'll, be, they'll have all their needs met. I was at a church, uh, driving by a church in Indonesia a couple years ago, and about 25,000 people there. Humongous church. And so I was talking to the man who was my guide that week, and I said, this is fantastic. I had no idea. It's such a Muslim stronghold. There'd be churches like this. And he said, no, don't be fooled. He said, for this last year, they've been, they've been highlighting this idea that if you come every single week and you listen to the sermons and you participate in the church, they have like a, like a church member of the year. This is something to think about, Tim. Church member of the year gets a brand new car. And they drive it onto the stage and the person gets announced. They gave the most. I mean, whatever it is, right? He said, don't be fooled. There's 25,000 people worshiping in that church every week, never hearing the gospel. And so we see that starts to happen first generation, second generation. And a lot of these places, they just tend to go back to whatever it is that they've done before, whether that's animism or whether that's Buddhism or Hinduism. We, were in a, we, we go every single year to a group in Sierra Leone. And so they would tell us, they said, look, on a regular basis, we've got folks that come to our prayer meeting on Sunday. And then as soon as they're done there, if it doesn't work, they walk right next door to the witch doctor's hut and try that. You know, because it's all the same to them still. 
And so we have found what we needed to do, World Outreach, EPC has said we need to get some folks in there to do some training. And so Bruce Anderson, myself, now Ed McCallum, uh, we're in 10 sites around the world doing this work. And I'll tell you a little bit about exactly how that works um, as, we, as we get going here. So to provide partnerships for theological education and leadership development among those with least access to the gospel. Let me explain that real quick because this is where, for some folks, it gets a little confusing. Many people have understood and have seen and maybe even participated in the kind of theological education that is almost by extension. So Andrew yesterday talked about all the different ways that, that folks can kind of confuse business's mission with the different models that are out there. And the same is true with theological education. There are those that are sending on a pretty regular basis trained Westerners, maybe a professor, a pastor. They're sending them overseas for a week to teach a class and then they come home here to the West. Okay? And they do that all the time, and, and whole schools can kind of be sustained that way. Our model is different. We said we want to go deep, and we want to go long with very few places. And our idea is that we would come alongside these national partners, ones that have a gift and a calling themselves in their country to give theological education. So in the same way that you've got, you've got men and women being raised up who have a call to do full-time ministry, these are men and women who have said, look, I've got, a, I've got a heart for ministry, but it's a different kind of ministry. And I long to see my people grow in their theological understanding. We find those people. God brings those people into relationship with us. And from there, we start this national partnership. And we say, how can we help you? achieve that dream. We've got some connections to the West, so we do go back and forth quite a bit, but ours is from the standpoint not necessarily of bringing them more and more information, but connecting them with resources in the West. So we work with RTS and Fuller and Denver and Gordon Conwell. We work with book uh, distributors that can help us do translation work. We work with a number of foundations that are helping a scholarship national leaders so they can go back to school so they can do their own teaching. So ours is much more of a role of training the trainers, we go in for a week at a time, and we sit with the faculty members, the young faculty members, and we train them. We teach classes alongside them. We model with them. We evaluate them. We help them become better trainers. They know the language. They know the culture. They do it a whole lot better than we do. So that's the idea of partnerships. That's what we're doing. Let me, um, let me skip down then uh, what we do here, the long-term relationships. Here's the sites. Folks often want to hear about this. Um, these are where we are. It is not dangerous. Uh, it's a little different than what Andrew said for us. We always go in, you know, we're, we're just tourists. We go in for one week at a time. The worst thing that's ever going to happen to me is they're going to tell me, you cannot come back here anymore, right? We're not really under threat in most of these places. It's not dangerous to talk about the places where we're doing this work. A uh, little bit more dangerous for the folks that are on the ground, obviously. Um, but again, we're very careful when we're there. Here's the places where we are. Uh, folks uh, ask questions about uh, where we're doing it and who we're reaching out to, that slide should be a little bit down. But by and large, it is Muslim regions and then some of the ones in Southeast Asia, Buddhism, animism, uh, folk religion. So leave that up for a second. <clears throat> okay, and what do we have? Materials, articles, expertise, administrative, technical help. So that's another question we get a lot. Folks say, hey, how can we come alongside you? I would love to go to Albania for a week and teach which is great. We have very limited opportunities to do that. There are some places that are far enough along in their accreditation where they really do need some extra faculty and folks can do that. We would love to talk to you if you think you've got a long-term calling to one of these places. That would be fantastic. But by and large, what we're looking for is folks that have expertise in a wide range of, of, of places. If you've got connections with like IT, you've done online education somewhere or you have some IT expertise, can help us figure out how in the world we get high-speed internet 
to a village in Myanmar. That would be fantastic. We would love to talk to you. Um, things that, uh, and we're talking about, uh, we have our own little businesses mission department as well, but we need more expertise in that because for most part in these places in the world, the pastor is not respected. It's not a professionalized thing because they are, they are such a small minority. So these folks don't get paid. All of them are working two to three jobs to do this. And so we're trying to figure out ways that they can be bivocational. Um, and then this new endeavor that we've got, super excited, ISETI Academy. Um, any of you that have been to the, uh, through theological education here, all of ours and the states are accredited, and they're accredited by this major organization, Association of Theological Schools, right? Every region of the world has one of those. So there's one in America, there's one for Europe, there's one all over the place, Southeast Asia, there's one for North Africa. And this group, ISETI, they are the accreditors of all the accreditors, huge organization. So this year, we are partnering with them. It's very exciting where they've said, you know what? We want to give away theological education for free to all of these national partners. So this isn't for students. This is for all the leaders of the institutions. Like the people that we're working with on the ground in our 10 sites can now start going through these courses that have been designed by them. Things like, how do you, how do, you do uh, fundraising? Right? How, do you, how do you organize your, your faculty and do faculty training? How do, you, how do you begin to build a board? All these kinds of things now are going to be through this online class, multilingual. They can connect with one another, talk through it. Very excited about that work. But let's get to some stories, okay? You can go to our website and find out more, i10global.org. We just sort of been on, the, on a plane for, we've been blitzing pretty hard since about October. So this month will be the month to update that. You'll see things coming new online pretty soon here for us. And, but let me tell you some stories. Okay, so this is um, Hervin Fushikadi. Tim, did anybody else from here meet with Hervin besides you? Or did you go, he went solo. He, he um, did a trip here to uh, the United States last year and actually came to Thomasville, uh, of all places. I couldn't believe it when he said on his itinerary. I thought, this cannot possibly be the same Thomasville, because of all the places in the U.S. where you're going to drop into, you're coming to Thomasville. But it was great. So Tim met with him for a day. Let me tell you his story. This will give you a picture of the kind of, kind of work that we do. So most of the national partners we connect with have some sort of connection to world outreach somewhere along the line. We've either had missionaries somewhere in the region, or they've got friends that have got somebody in that region, and they tell us about it. So there's a vetting process process. We make two trips first, and we do this assessment, and we sort of figure out, is this where the Lord's leading us? So we met Hervin about three or four years ago to become a dear, dear friend, and Hervin was a Muslim. His father was a Muslim, a Muslim pastor, an imam, and he was in seminary training to be an imam. Okay, so he was going to be a pastor. He was full on in. He's in, the, he's in the seminary. He's in his final year of studying to be this professional uh, pastor. And one of the things that he felt like he was most deficient in was apologetics, right? And for those that don't know what that is, it means like defending the faith. He just, he said there was this, there was this small little church plant downtown, right? It's about 90% Muslim in Albania, but there was this annoying little group of about 10 Christians downtown in this storefront. And he would regularly, after classes, go over there and engage with them. And he said, man, and sometimes their questions were so hard, I was just frustrated. And so I began to study on my own. The seminary couldn't provide me enough. And he said, and I went out and I scoured Albania and I got a hold of a New Testament Bible. And I read that thing from cover to cover. I thought, I'm going to know this faith better than they do. And as you can imagine, when people do that, they tend to encounter Jesus, right? And so in the midst of his studies, in his final year of being an imam, he becomes a Christian, 
His dad's an imam, his whole family is Muslim, and he, and he walks away from it all. And so he's got this burning desire in his heart now to serve God and has no access to theological education. I mean, there is nothing, nothing in the whole Balkan region, Kosovo, all the way down to Greece. You won't find a single Christian seminary. And so he's walking around literally trying to find out from people on the street, do you know any Christians? Do you know where they meet, right? So he finds three or four of these small little gatherings, about 10 Christians, and he starts going to these places every single Sunday, and as best he can, he, has, he had very broken English at the time, he's trying to write down the sermons. And then he would go back to his neighborhood on Sunday night, having heard two or three sermons, and he would stand under this tree and gather whoever wanted to hear it, and he would try to read back the sermons, that's how, his, that's how his ministry began. Well, that began a church eventually. He's an incredibly strong leader. He had ended up getting a scholarship to go off to Europe to get his master's degree, came back. That one church plant became five church plants. And so he starts meeting regularly with these five church planters. And they become so renowned for their leadership throughout Albania that more of their friends started to say, where in the world are you learning this? Well, I'm learning it from Hervine. And so within 10 years, this school has become 75 students, which doesn't sound like a whole lot. But in 1990, right, 1990 in the country of Albania, after decades of oppression, people estimated there was four evangelicals left in the whole country. 15% of the entire population of Albania was killed under communist regimes. So here we are, 25 years later. He's not only got a church, he's got five church plants. He's got a leadership school called ISTL, and we just celebrated the 10-year anniversary, 75 of those students. When I taught the class there, I'll be there, I'll be there next week. I'm going next week. I go twice a year to teach there and work with the administrators of it, and I asked in this class of 45 students, how many of you are converts from Islam? All of them but three. <laughs> All of them but three. I mean, it's just an unbelievable story of what's going on in that country. So we come alongside them. He's got a board of trustees now. I work with the boards. I'm an academic advisor. We help with curriculum. We help, we help to find other donors for him. We're giving him scholarships so he can go get his PhD now. All those kinds of things. That's the way we partner. Okay, most recently, just got back uh, two weeks ago from Vietnam. Okay, and some of you are, are old enough uh, to remember... When we were in war with them, I, I was not obviously old enough to go, but I grew up in the house where the step, my stepfather had been a soldier in Vietnam. So Vietnam only means one thing, right? I mean, you hear that, that term and you just think about the Vietnam War, and they do too. It's a very odd experience to fly into Hanoi. That's where we were in the northern, the northern capital of Vietnam and be there for the purpose of thinking about theological education and church planting in the middle of Vietnam. We went last year. Met with these administrators. There's actually a Bible college there. It's a small little school, 35 students, called Hanoi Bible College. And you'll find that in a lot of these regions of the world, what happened is that before they were communist or before they were Islamic, a lot of them were Christian or at least had some sort of Christian heritage because of colonialism. In this instance, it was the French. And so this Bible college from 100 years ago is grandfathered in. It's grandfathered in before the war breaks out, before communism comes, and so it gets to continue to exist. It's, a, it's an odd thing, and it's right in the middle of Hanoi. So we go and meet with these folks. They're doing fairly well. They've got a couple of great professors, and we're getting ready to leave, and one of these professors comes alongside us and says, I want you to hear something else, though. It might be very true that we don't need you here at this school, 
But up in the northern regions of the mountains, uh, closer to the border of China, we estimate there's, there are literally thousands, maybe 1,500 or more, of these small little churches they're up in the hillside, maybe 10, five people are meeting them. We don't even know. We can't count them because the, go- the communist government won't let us. And those pastors, literally over 100 pastors up in these hillsides, they have no access to theological education. They can't come all the way down to the city. They don't have the academic ability to come and do the work that's here. And they're just left on their own up in those mountainsides. Would you come and help them? And so we came again two weeks ago. We dropped into Hanoi. We spent a week there, and we got to go meet some of these folks this time. We went way up into the mountainsides, about three hours' drive, and met with these, and met with these leaders, uh, one of them there on the left. And this is his church. And we asked on the way out, we said, what, what is with all these papers on the outside of the church? His church has over 600 members in it, in this village. Three hours outside of the city. And he said, this is so that we can keep track of all of our members because at any given time, they may be kidnapped. They may be put in prison, persecuted. So we just want, if anybody knows anything about these people from week to week, whoever's not here, would you check the list and would you write next to it an update so that we know what's going on with them? He said, we never have 600 people in church at once. Usually it's 300 because the husbands and the wives in a believing family have to take turns coming to church. Because everybody in the village knows when you're a Christian and they know exactly when you're not going to be home and your house will be broken into or it'll be torched. So one person at all time, 24 hours a day, has to stay at home. This lady on the right in the church plant in downtown Hanoi, the lady, uh, the one who you can see her face there, about 23 years old, she told us the most incredible story about coming to faith out of Buddhism. And, and even as she's talking about it, She's smiling. She's talking about the joy that that Jesus has brought into her life. And her friend finally says, you need to know that she has suffered greatly for following Jesus. And the girl doesn't want to talk about it. And she's sort of like, no, no, it's it's fine. It's all been worth it. People have suffered worse than I have. And the lady says, no, you need to know this. Like her father and her brothers have physically abused her for months for doing this. And have finally kicked her out of the house. And there she is at church that week. Like not counting the cost, just saying, look, this is it. This is a privilege. This is an honor, right? So we're meeting those kind of people. That's what's going on in Vietnam. It's some of the most exciting work in the world to come alongside of these folks. And so by the end of that week, what we had decided, we said, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's take 20 graduates, 20 of your best graduates from this Bible college, and we will come three times a year with trainers from the U.S. to give you the highest level of training we possibly can to train you and commission you to go out. And so these 20 folks who are like chomping at the bit saying, choose me, choose me, I would love to go do this, they will be able to go with a certificate. They need to. It's got to be officially accredited, which is why we're helping, or they're going to get arrested. And they're going to go up into the mountainsides every single year, and they're going to host these pastors, these 20 graduates are going to go out into the hillside and train these pastors that these churches might grow. That's a little bit of an image of, of what it looks like. Now, every site is different. So you could look at that list again, Sierra Leone, all the places where we are. It's a little different. That's what it's going to look like in Vietnam. So it's pretty dynamic work. Um, and if anybody wants to go, everybody's saying, man, I, that's a dream of mine. I would love to go to the hillsides of Vietnam. Uh, let us know. We would love to hear from you. So I think that's about it. We've got a, a couple more minutes. If folks have questions or clarity, um, feel free. I'll be here part of the roundtable tomorrow morning at Sunday school as well, but that's a bit of a snapshot for us.